I might as well tell you because you might not be there already. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel. Great Bible book, Ezekiel. It's in the Old Testament, in the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. Ezekiel, Daniel is where you'll find it. So right between Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Daniel. Go to chapter 18. There's a verse I want to just share with you. What we are doing this morning is something that is a little different. Um, We are still in the book of Acts, but in light of last week's message from Acts chapter 8 on the conversion of the Apostle Paul, just like when we were going through the earlier chapters, we felt it's probably important for us to hit pause and talk about what's going on. Not from a text, but from what the Bible speaks about that idea. And so we did. We stopped a little while back and we said, let's just learn about baptism. Let's understand like what it is and how it fits into God's purposes and God's plan. And, and one of our pastors, Justin, gave a great message on baptism. And then if you remember, like we celebrated, had a great baptismal service outside and many, many, many um, were, uh, were, were buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk a new life. Well, in light of last week's message, and particularly, I, I, I had us close reflecting on our own conversion, and I want to bring you back to that thought. We ended thinking about that moment in time, and I won't assume that all of us have done this, that moment in time in which you approached the grace of God, the goodness of God, the plan of God, and you found peace by faith, I want to go back to that moment. I want you to think about that. I think it's good for us to stop and to remember our marriages. I was just talking to somebody today, and they said, yeah, my wife and I are sitting here in the pew arguing over how many years ago, because I I think it was the Sanctity of Life Sunday, how many years ago was it that was our first Sunday here? It's, It's good to stop and remember. How long has it been, by the way? Wow, it's been 11 years or 12 years. Uh, that's just, how long have you, I was asked today, how long have you been here? And I said, you know, it's, it's hard to believe, but I've been here this June. I will have completed 15 years. Wow, it's good for me to go back and to remember June 1st, 2004. And it's good for me to go back and to remember the moment, as best as I can recollect, and to even ask, what were you doing? See, when I think back to my wedding day, and I ask myself, what was I doing? It reminds me how to live today, doesn't it? It reminds me that that commitment that was made was not just made one moment in time, but was made to reflect all of the future moments in time. So that's what we're going to reflect on this morning. Your conversion. The need for conversion. Because if we don't understand what we did when we came to this new life in Jesus, if we don't have the proper understanding of it, then how can we share it with others? Why should we share it with anybody? Is this just a really cool way for you to live, something that you have figured out that's kind of helping you along your way, but you know what, everybody else is good? Is that true? It's kind of an interesting statement. Um, This is how people say it today. Have you been in one of these moments where there's a little bit of like conflict? And you want to make sure that in your parting words that there's not a rift, that there's not difficulty. And so I can sit down and go, hey, Greg, are we, we good? Are we good? 
That's how we say it. Basically what we're meaning is, hey, is our relationship okay? That got a little tense there for a moment. I just wanna make sure that we're, are we good? And then you get to decide, no, we're not good. Or I get to decide, just because I want you to know, I don't think we're good. So I, I guess I'm asking you, like in terms of like you and God, I know it might sound strange, are you, are you good? In the past, we, we, we talked about it in, in definitely more lofty terms. Have you found, um, have you found true life? Have you found eternal life? That's, that's true as well. Have you found peace with God? That's a good way to do it, especially in times when we kind of think we're about to meet him. Have you made peace with God? I've asked a lot of people that question. But sadly, we, we usually ask it kind of near the end of life. It's not a question that should just be determined at the end. So I, I guess what I'm asking, are you and God good? One of the problems with that statement and why it really works well for Jim and Greg and doesn't work well for me and God is that when I say to, hey, hey, Bridge, we good? It's, it's kind of like two people where it could have been my fault, could have been your fault. <laughs> we good? But when it's God, it just doesn't seem appropriate to go, hey, we good? It's good to remember who we're dealing with and the brokenness that exists, where that brokenness comes from. It's good to be humbled by uh, the greatness and the power and the holiness and the love and the mercy and the kindness of God. It just doesn't seem right to just casually, hey, we good with someone where it's all my fault all my fault, none of his. And match that with the fact that even though it's all my fault, he chose to pursue me and to make things good. So can I, can I just, I'll beg if I need to, can I just ask you to go back to that moment when you think about what happened and maybe just ask you, like, did you treat it casually? Or did you treat it with the, uh, with the appropriate weight that it deserved? I hear parents say this when, when their little ones come to faith. You know, this is the most important decision they'll ever make in their lives. And... Uh, if I can just be honest, as I'm, as I'm standing there, I just, I literally think to myself, I, I pray to God, not to them, but I just pray, and I don't just mean think in my head, I mean pray, like God, help them believe that. Like, do you believe that your child, for those of you that have children, that the greatest decision they will make in their lives is not who they marry, it's not whether or not they go to college. It literally is their appeal to God by faith. 
for peace and forgiveness and salvation. Do you really believe that? So here, here I, I just I want us to, I want us to deal with this. I want you to think about your own conversion, and, and I want you to begin to, without adding too much weight, but the appropriate weight, those that you love and that you care for, that maybe have not made this decision, or made it casually or flippantly. And I'm not interested in going back. I'll never, I'll never. Hey, let's go back and cover our bases. It's not about covering our bases. It's making sure that we actually touch the base. Do you see the difference? Not covering it, but did you even touch the base? Because, you know, if you didn't, they can tag you at any moment. And you can't just say, but ref, I thought I did it. I thought I did. I thought I touched it. The ref doesn't go, oh, well, we didn't know you thought you touched it. There is one thing that unites all humanity. Can I put it this way? There is something about every single one of us that is just the same. And it's kind of interesting because it's important that we understand this. This is true about all humans. We are capable of doing good things. It's just for the record. Every one of us can do good things. We can, we can give to Stillwater Life Services. We can hold the door open for somebody. Uh, we can do something wrong and then apologize. We can um, love our children. Not, not perfectly, didn't say perfectly, but we can all do good things, can we not? We can see somebody in need and, and we can reach out to them. Every, every one of us, I think every human can do this. We can do good things. That's not the question. Another thing that we all have in common, we are all capable of doing bad things, aren't we? Yeah, we can think selfishly. Um, instead of offering like kind words when someone attacks you, you can put them in their place. When no one's looking, we can take things. We can say we're gonna do one thing and then abandon our word and our commitment. We're all capable, all of us are capable of bad things. And the Bible actually teaches that at every point in time, we have done that, and not just against one another, but ultimately against God. So for the record, we can all do good things. Bible teaches that. We can all do bad things. The Bible teaches that. There is one thing that we cannot do. Are you ready for this? And this is important. What we cannot do, apart from God and apart from his work, is that we cannot do saving things. We can do good things and we can do bad things, but we can't do saving things. In essence, like I can't get to God's presence and then begin to list to him all the good things that I've done and translate those good things into saving things. That there's nothing I can do, no way that I can live my life. It's, by the way, it's, it's, it's not even the fact, this is when we, when we play this game in our minds about, yeah, there are people and we're just gonna try to do more good than bad, you do realize that means you even understand what good and bad is. How many of you have done good things or at least thought you've done good things and then you find out those were bad things? Anybody? Yeah, it's called raising children. Literally, I thought I was doing good things. Anybody ever done that? I really thought I was helping you. I had no idea it was hurting you. Like, you really think that you have the ability 
to like even understand what those good things are or what those bad, you, you think you can, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I can't. But how do we translate those good things into saving things? And the answer is we can't. We just can't. Even if you could do more. Even if you could even know. It essentially means this. There will come a day, I believe this, there will come a day where I will meet God and I'll never be able to go, hey, you owe me. You owe me. I did the math. You owe me. And, and by the way, you might go, yeah, because that's so brazen. You can't go, hey, you owe me. Like, if you want to do it, if tone matters to you, like it does to my wife, if tone matters, then we'll change the tone. Hey, God, you owe me? You owe me. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I can't get God into my debt by good things. That's you can't, I cannot do saving things where somehow I stand before him and go, excuse me, can you get out of my way? I want to get into heaven. And that's true about every single one of us. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 through 32. Probably not underlined in your Bible, but not a bad idea to do it. Look at what God says. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. So, I mean, sure, the context is Israel. I, I think this can easily apply because there are lots of other verses that describe God speaking in similar ways to his people, his creation. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you according to your ways, declares the Lord God. I'll judge you according to your ways. And by the way, when Israel hears that, they go, okay, that never works out well for us because we don't have the ability to do saving things. We can do good things, we can do bad things. See, who even told you that the good things that you do are saving things? Bible never did. Bible never said, hey, by the way, you know the good things that you do? Those are saving things. No, it just says they're good things. They're not saving things. I will judge you according to your ways, declares the Lord. And what I love about that is he doesn't go, yeah, so you don't have a chance. So repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions, sins, that you have committed, and I will make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure. See, I want you to know the heart of God. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. That's the God of the Old Testament. The one that you thought was just really like angry all the time. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Like I know we celebrated when they found bin Laden and killed him. Just the one who made him, who sent Jesus to die in his place, found no delight in that. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not justice and we can appreciate, I'm just saying God takes no delight in the death of those who are far from him, those who are wicked. That's his heart. Don't ever question the heart of God on these kind of eternal matters. John, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, another very important verse, says it this way. Talking about the sin that exists, and notice what he says. Why, O Israel, will you die in your sins? Repent and turn. Here's how John says it. By the way, for those of you that think, yeah, God and I don't really have a problem. Like, we good. John says that if we say that we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves. And by the way, we're good at that. We're good at deceiving ourselves. I just turned 50. I was thinking the other day, like, how many more years do I have left? Oh, enough to not worry about it today. I figured that, I figured that that's my number. My number is enough to not worry about it. There's so many of us in this room right now that are treating our spiritual life that way. How are we doing? You know, how, how's your health? Healthy enough. I don't think I need to worry about it. How's your relationship with God? Uh, you know what? I don't need to worry about that now. Don't plan on meeting him for a long time. We deceive ourselves, and if we say that we have no sin, if we say that we have no need for Jesus, if we say that we have no need for repentance, if we say that we have no need for God's grace, if we say that we have no need, we're banking on kind of that transformation of our good things into saving things. That's what we're banking on. Oh, you mean you're deceiving yourself. And you're going off the fact that your mom promised you that you were a good little girl. That's what you're banking on. Yeah, well you might wanna bring your mommy into the presence of the Almighty. See how that goes for you. And, and by the way, he, he loves your mommy. But a note from your mom is not going to help in the situation. You do know that, right? Like I want you to just think, I, I love asking this question to people. Like tell me your plan when you meet the Almighty. You might go, well, I'm never gonna meet him. Okay, listen, I, I, I don't think you're right in that. What concerns me more is I, I think the majority of this room is full, full of people who believe they're gonna meet him. I do. So tell me your plan. And if you say that you have no sin or no true need for Jesus, no real need for grace or faith, except, you know, to help you get through life. A lot of people just want God's grace or, God's, or faith in God to kind of just get through the hard times. That's what it's for. Um, no, the peace that we have with God gets us through the hard times, yes. But it is, that's not its design. Its design is to get us right with our creator so that now in our lives, we are living in accordance with the way that he has designed it all. So that we find peace both in this life and in the next. But there are so many people in this room that have accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Because we know the language basically is a way of just kind of getting through this life. No, there's, that, there's a deception in that that is fundamentally broken and flawed. That's really not trusting Jesus with your sin problem. And everyone is the same. Every one of us, from the greatest of us in our goodness to the least of us in our goodness, stand in desperate need of someone to save us. And his name is Jesus. Is that not awesome? Now here's what's different about us actually. So everyone is the same, good things, bad things, no ability to do saving things, but, but this is where, like it or don't like it, this is where people begin to kind of sift. This is where we find the Bible talks about it, sheep and goats. This is where the Bible talks about wheat and chaff, where some is gathered up and, and then the rest is, I mean, these sounds like such harsh words. It, it, it's literally like to not deal with God in the right way is a 
terrible, terrible thing to be thrown away, to be burned up. Tell me again, how does God feel about that? Takes no delight. Takes no delight. But that's what the Bible is talking about. That's why Paul didn't go, man, I was good before you showed up, but hey, you're really helping me with life, Jesus. Thanks for coming. I had it all figured out. I was doing great stuff then, and now you can just help me to do more great stuff. No, Jesus encountering Saul moved him from what Paul, this is his words. You can argue with him if you want. I'm not going to. He says, I've moved from death to life. That's That's what he says. I I didn't move from one path to another path, and this path is better. No, he moved from death to life. He moved from a dead end one way, and he's walking the wrong way down the one way to the narrow road, which is life. So this is what's different, and so I want you to think about this. Like, is this different about you? We're all in need of Jesus. Here's the fundamental difference between what separates all of humanity. And by the way, I don't don't argue this because I believe it, although I believe it. I argue it because this is like what the Bible says. And by the grace of God and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, I guess, honestly, I do believe it. The fundamental difference between everyone and those who find peace with God who are good. Uh, You gotta say that right. Who are good with God and his plan and his goodness are those people who turn away from their sin. Like, have you turned away from your sin? I'm not asking, like, have you stopped sinning? That's hopefully the, the part, but like, have you turned away from your from your sin? Have you turned away from your wicked heart? Have you turned away from just how much you want to self-deceive? Have you turned away even from your own self-righteousness? I'm good enough. That's self-righteousness. Have you decided that instead of you figuring everything out on your terms and it being your schedule and your hopes and your dreams, instead of that, that now I'm going to be in alignment with God? Because this idea of turning away from our sin, another way to describe it is to repent, to change our mind, is not just, yeah, you know, I, I really wasn't a good boyfriend back when I was in junior high and I should feel bad about that. It's I am by my nature a very, um, at best, a good person who still doesn't understand the goodness and the greatness of his creator, at best. And at worst, I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible person. And and, and by the way, the the real reality is is that when we talk about like people being good, we're just okay with the same kind of terrible, to be honest with you. I know a lot of people that literally look at other people and go, yeah, they're good. And I'm looking at them going, no, you're both terrible. You're both really broken people. You're just okay with your brokenness. That doesn't make you even good. And it definitely doesn't save you. I'm not asking you, have you stopped sinning? But we'll allow the Holy Spirit and its work through us to get us there. 
I'm asking, have you fundamentally decided that you're not in charge of your life, that your mind is being changed, that your will is being conformed? Are you turning away from the fact that you're not in charge of you and your life and your children? You're not not in charge of, of your spiritual life. You're giving that to Jesus. You're giving that to God. He redefines everything. That I, love, I love the words that were written literally 400 years ago that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. I'm not asking when you were 13 and some pastor really preached some kind of hellfire and brimstone message, did you feel really bad and go forward? I'm asking like this morning, are you allowing God to conform and to transform your still broken heart into more like Jesus? See, that's, that's, a, that's a difference maker. That begins to separate all of humanity. Repentance. We saw it in Ezekiel. Jesus, when he said the kingdom was coming, what did he say? Repent. Repent. That doesn't mean feel bad. It means to change your mind, which will then change your direction, which acknowledges the greatness and the goodness of God. And at best, the weakness and the futility of us at best. The second thing that separates all of humanity is to trust in Jesus, to trust in him. Literally, the word to believe. But believe means trust. That's why, like, I'm, what I'm not asking you to is to acknowledge, I can prove to you that Jesus existed, you know. Yeah, no, nobody argues that. And literally in about a month's time, I'm gonna have a good friend of mine come over. He is Jewish. He is, lives in Israel. He is our guide. And he's gonna come here. He's gonna teach us a bunch of stuff. Um, he, he believes that Jesus existed. In that sense, he believes in Jesus. But Uri does not trust Jesus with his sin. He thinks it's cool that we do. Not against it. You, you go ahead. What's your plan, Uri? We ask this conversation all the time. <laughs> so what is your plan again? And I'll have him even kind of share that. It's just not the Christian plan. It's not Paul's plan or Peter's plan or John's plan. It's not my plan. My plan is to actually give that to Jesus. Not, not hey, Jesus, I did some good things. Can, I, I preached for a lot of years, almost 15, you know. Can you turn that into a saving thing? Jesus would look at me and go, nope. Sorry, it'll never be that. You know what is a saving thing for you? Me dying in your place for your sins. That's a saving thing. Do you want that? Well, I didn't do that. I know, because you can't do that. But I can do that. You want that? Yeah, I want that. I I guess I want to be careful saying that we can't do saving things. I guess there is a saving thing that you can do, and that is to believe. To trust See, I don't know about you, I kind of like the fact that I'm gonna stand before God and should he say to me, so what's your plan? I got got one word for you, great mighty creator of the universe. His name is Jesus. I'm just here to say thank you and to just humbly collect your gift of life eternal. See, all that does is bring praise to God. You realize that, right? Right? All that does is make him seem so great and so kind and so good. The fundamental difference, have you repented and have you trusted God with your sin problem? Because you have one, promise you, everybody does.
I use this example over and over again, and I hope you know, like, I loved my grandma, my mother's mom. But my mother's mom's plan was she kind of looked at her life, lived 98 years, she looked at her life and just, there was nothing she did there that deserved hell. Nothing, in her mind. Wanted really nothing to do with God. She went to church when she was a little girl, you know, and those stories were kind of cute. But in terms of like living in the wake of the goodness of her creator and her redeemer, she, I, I don't need any of that. Like it's good for you, for the Johnson family, but that's just not us. So her plan is to kind of like stand before God and say, do you know that I was a good mother? Do you know that I was a good grandmother? Do you know that I was a good neighbor? Do you know that I love my husband well? Do you know that? And God's like, yes, I know all of those things. Be away from me. That's not my plan. And my plan is to go, you know I was a preacher? Do you know that I sent children that became missionaries? Like that's, that is all from his goodness. I got one word for you, creator of the universe. Oh, merciful God, thank you for Jesus. That's all I got for you. Acts chapter three says it this way. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Messiah or the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven will receive until the time for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repent, therefore, because Jesus is in heaven and a time is coming when he will come back. Therefore, repent now and trust in Jesus' plan and quit baking cookies and trying to call that good. Well, but I also, you know the Walmart thing with the guy with the red thing and he rings the bell and I put in like literally eight bucks. Oh yeah, (laughs) that should cover you. Your sin problem's what, worth eight bucks? Philippians chapter three, verse four, here's how Paul says it. Though I myself have confidence in the flesh, meaning all the good things that I've done, if anyone else he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's going, hey, you wanna do like a I got enough goodness stuff? I'm telling you, here's what Paul argues. I got more than all of you. I got more than all of you. And then he continues on in verse seven. But whatever I had as a gain, I now count for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. The word is far more explicit than that. It literally is the same word for, 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 for animal excrement. Like this is a PG rating because they know, they know that we read our Bibles in church. But I need you to understand, like it's a, it's, a, it's a harsh, ugly, gross, but not just gross, it's actually like religiously gross, right? Like that excrement is one of those things that actually is something that, that is unclean, like religiously. So Paul just doesn't mean it flippantly, he means that which is just religiously and even just reprehensibly just gross, he's going, that's the best of my stuff. I consider the best of my stuff that. See, if we thought that the best of our stuff was that, we would truly recognize how badly we need Jesus. But in reality, my grandmother doesn't think the best of her stuff is rubbish. She thinks the best of her stuff is good enough. And it's too late for her to do anything about it.
And then he goes on, listen to this. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. A righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's what it's about. So here's my question. This morning, it's very simple. We have, we have an area in our, our church building. It's called Lost and Found. And it's where we put stuff that nobody else obviously cares about. <laughs> because, you know, I, I look back there. Um, there are some cups that I think you are just literally empty in your soul without owning. And they're just in a closet back here. And there are some Bibles back there and some, like, some coats and some shirts <laughs> that obviously people don't even care about. Like, truly, isn't that what lost and found means? Like, I mean, occasionally, when we lose a cell phone, we freak out. A wallet? Ah! Most of our stuff? Yeah, just put it in the lost and found. No, it's so much more than that. I just want to ask you this morning, are you lost or found? And by the way, you might, you might feel like you deserve to be in that closet. But I'm telling you, that which is lost, God pursues. And that's what he did with Jesus. But I'm gonna ask you again, are you lost or found? Are you hoping that good things will somehow translate into saving things? The Bible just says you're wrong. But the Bible doesn't say you're without hope. The Bible says that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is enough. And the question this morning is, are you humble enough are you aware enough? It's not smart enough. It's not good enough. Are you humble enough? Are you aware enough? Are you in tune enough? Are you sensitive enough? Are you responsive enough to the Holy Spirit? Because I, I don't think you'll, most of us will never have like a Damascus Road experience. Most of humanity will not have Jesus just coming out of the blinding light. I mean, that's not my experience but I'm just as saved as Paul ever was. So what do you need to do today? We'll have a moment. We're about to gather around the table. We're about to sing praise to him. We're about to send off missionaries to Japan because there's lots of lost people there. There's lots of lost people in Stillwater. I believe there's lots of lost people in this room. I do believe that. What do you need to do today? How long you want me to wait? Like, what do you need to do today? There are many conversions in our lives for those of us that have been followers of Jesus Christ, right? You know that. Uh, it's been fun asking people about their conversion. They're like, I think like I've had a million of them. I mean, God's always revealing himself. Sure, I get it. I've had many conversions in my life. Deeper awareness about the goodness of God. But there, I only had one conversion from death to life. And it came when I decided to just say, I need Jesus. I pray that for the rest of this morning that you will let that kind of sit on you. And, and for some of us, it will make us feel good because like, I'll be, honestly, I, I know what I've done. <laughs> it's why I'm not afraid of Jesus coming back or dying. I'm good. 
we're good. He's made me good. I just pray that for you too. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us, for your mercy and for your grace. And I pray, Father, that we would be aware of that, mindful of that, and that, God, we would be um, honest about our, I guess you'd give us the awareness that we could be honest about our sin situation and help us to respond today to you. We do need your spirit. This isn't just an intellectual thing. So much more than that. As we gather around your table, may those of us eat well and drink well with great joy and gratitude. And for those who have not, may we, in great humility, but maybe new awareness, realize what it is that we're passing by. It's in Jesus' name we trust and pray, amen.